When U.S. President Donald Trump started taking aim at Canada's dairy, poultry, and egg industries during the renegotiation of NAFTA, those farmers could feel the hair rise on the back of their necks. Once again, it put Canada's supply management system back in the spotlight, and not necessarily for all the right reasons. There's been a growing chorus of voices inside this country calling for an end to what some call a cartel. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand. Have you ever wondered why so many border Canadians head to the U.S. on weekends to load up on milk, eggs, and poultry? Simple. It's less expensive than buying domestically. But if Donald Trump has his way, that U.S. milk will start flowing across our border, and that has farmers worried. To break it down, supply management rests equally on three pillars. The first, quota. It's a national agency. It'll set production amounts, then set quotas for each province, and each producer must have a quota. Minimum prices. Supply-managed producers are guaranteed a minimum price for their product. Through provincial marketing boards, farmers will negotiate minimum prices with processors. And high tariffs, the third pillar of supply management, the imposition of high tariffs on foreign imports, a policy that makes these goods too expensive for Canadians, leaving domestic supply as virtually the only option for consumers. Canadian dairy, egg, and poultry producers did give up a bit during trade talks in the TPP, but that was less than a 4% increase. The then-federal Conservative government compensated those farmers to the tune of $4.3 billion. The average net worth of a Canadian farm is $2.8 million. The average poultry and dairy farms are worth $5.8 and $3.8 million, respectively, according to StatsCan. A University of Manitoba study found that supply management costs wealthy Canadian families an extra $554 a year on those products. Lower-income families paid $339 more. According to Quebec MP Maxime Bernier, farming families working under supply management are indeed far wealthier than most Canadian families. Average after-tax income of all households in Canada is just over $69,000. By comparison, the average dairy farming household income is almost $148,000, and the number is over $180,000 for poultry farming households. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll hear from the many voices directly involved in supply management. Bruce Muirhead's a PhD and Associate Vice President of Research Oversight and Analysis and a Professor of History at the University of Waterloo, as well, Egg Farmers of Canada Chair in Public Policy. And Bruce, thank you for joining us. Pleasure, thanks. Now, you've spoken quite a bit in support of supply management. Why do you feel it's the best option for Canadian consumers? Well, I would should say, first of all, it's the best option for the in the sectors in which it operates, which is dairy, eggs, and poultry. But just turning to consumers, the consumers are, at least in some of the uh, criticism of supply management, consumers are the forgotten element in all of this. And my research has shown that um, consumers actually get a good deal through supply-managed commodities. When you compare other sort of like-minded or similar states to ours, like Australia, New Zealand, and parts of Western Europe, and even parts of the United States as well. Say you look at dairy prices for four liters of milk. Um, we actually are very, very competitive. And in fact, in by comparison with places like New Zealand and some parts of the U.S., our milk is cheaper. So that's the result of supply management, how it operates, how it passes on benefits to consumers as well. And I think a lot of the uh, the work that's been done, there hasn't been a lot of work on this, but of the work that's been done, on the effect of supply management on consumers, I would say some of that is wrong-headed. Methodologies are incorrect. It almost looks to me like a selective use of data to prove a point 
rather than to just let the numbers speak for themselves. So milk in Canada, I pay probably for four liters, uh, maybe 427 at most 440 or so for four liters of milk. In some parts of the United States, according to U.S. Um, Bureau of Labor statistics that are collected, and you can look online and, and check these numbers, when they're normalized, when the U.S. stat is normalized for four liters, a gallon, 3.8 liters, and also the exchange rate is factored in. In some areas of the U.S., according to U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, places like New England are paying $5.06 uh, for four gallons, or for four liters. So the price here is good. In New Zealand, um, the New Zealanders are the largest cross-border traders of dairy products in the world. They control about 32% of the international market. Their milk prices are much, much higher than ours. In fact, for the rock-bottom four-liter price for um, New Zealand milk, it's probably about $5, $6.10 for four liters. And uh, when you look online at New Zealand newspapers, one of the interesting things they say, because, of course, they think our system is very, very inefficient. When it's anything but inefficient, it's very, very efficient. Um, they think that it's inefficient because it, in quotation marks, regulated. Um, in New Zealand newspapers, they, uh, critics often say things like, even Canadians pay less for their milk than we do. So I think it's a good deal for consumers, and it's a good deal for farmers. When you bring up New Zealand and the difference, so I would imagine a good chunk of that extra cost is going to have to be for shipping, and they don't exactly have the population that to do it uh, domestically. So in terms of so, getting it out... You know, you look at the look, New Zealand's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, although they are a very, very, um, they're a low-cost provider. It's a grass-based system, so basically they turn their cows out, and whatever they eat in grass is what they eat. So very, very few, very, very, uh, not very many supplements are, are offered to New Zealand cows. They're actually, the cows actually produce much, much less than Canadian cows do. They're also much smaller, generally speaking, than Canadian cows. Um, but the New Zealanders are... Um, it's a small population, that's true, but they they do have a very, very cheap um, cost of production system, which we can't compete with given our barns and need for winter forage and that kind of thing. So, But even so, you know, their milk is, is much more expensive in supermarkets than ours is. How does a quota system improve expansion or, or growth in the farm, or does it just protect the status quo? Um, the status quo is what we want, in a sense. The biggest problem among the commodities that are covered by supply management. I know a lot about eggs and dairy. I don't know so much about poultry. But the biggest problem in the dairy and egg sectors globally is overproduction. So the status quo in Canada, it's not quite status quo. They add quota fairly regularly. I mean, there is a, um, this past year, I think there was something like a million birds added to Canadian egg quota. So they do respond to population increases. They, you know, the quota increases also respond to um, to increasing demand by consumers for eggs and for dairy as well. So it's not quite a status quo system, but I argue very, very strongly that the biggest problem that farmers face in every single other part of the world, except for Canada in the dairy and egg sectors, is this notion that we can just produce whatever we want and the world will consume it. That is absolutely not the case. In fact, as I'm sure you know, um, you've read things about American dairy, for example. They've increased production by about 2% per year, and there is absolutely no market for that dairy. So as a result, they spread it on fields as you know, it's fertilizer. They dump it in lagoons. Um, they just have to get rid of it. They denature it. They just have to get rid of it um, because there is no market. So overproduction is 
the biggest disadvantage that farmers in certain commodities face. And of course, they are dairy and eggs are commodities, so the price goes up and down according to supply and demand. And sometimes other things like uh, how many 25-year-olds are are uh, manipulating prices at the mercantile exchange or the commodities, the futures market in Chicago. No, those are the kinds of things that affect price. But even so, overproduction and production controls are absolutely necessary. And in fact, um, I have a postdoc, and she and I have spent a lot of time in the archives in Ottawa looking at um, the documents, sort of the precursor to supply and management um, in the 1960s. And probably in 75% of the documents that we've come across, production controls is two words that absolutely have to be addressed in the 1960s and the 1950s. And in fact, governments of the day, um, they're on the hook, as the Americans are now, for subsidy payments to farmers. And we've come across a few uh, memoranda in the documents that basically the governments of the day, doesn't matter whether it was Diefenbaker's Conservatives or Pearson's Liberals, they say we're on the hook this year, say 1962, for a $50 million subsidy payment to dairy farmers, and we simply can't afford it. How are we going to deal with this? And of course, dairy is one sector. You have a number of other sectors that are also coming with their hands out. So overproduction is the bane of farmers' existence. Um, and in a sense, they are their own worst enemies when it comes to overproduction. They have, they can control production, but they don't because most of the time they tend to adopt a rugged individualist stance and um, they don't know what their neighbor's doing, say, in the, the wheat sector or the canola sector or the tomato sector. So they are they're subject to the ebbs and flows of global trade and sometimes domestic trade. And they also have to deal with um, fluctuating consumer demand for a commodity. When you have production controls in place, you can't overproduce. And as a result, everybody benefits, both in terms of the resources that aren't used to um, create an overproduced supply of, say, wheat or some other commodity. Um, so you save resources in that front, and you also save in terms of time, energy, and effort. Bruce Muirhead joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, Associate Vice President of Research Oversight and Analysis and a Professor of History at the University of Waterloo, as well as the Chair of Public Policy for the Egg Farmers of Canada. And uh, we're talking about supply management. And, and, you know, Bruce, when you look at all the farmers in Canada, dairy, poultry, eggs only account for about 10%. How do you square with the other farmers in this country that aren't supported by supply management? Um, to some cases, um, that's their choice. But also, supply management can't operate in sectors that require an export market. Um, dairy, total global production, about 7% of total global production in the dairy sector is traded internationally. So it's very, very small. And in the case of eggs, it's about 3% of total global production is traded internationally. So again, if you don't have export markets for dairy and egg production, in a sense, you know, who cares? Um, New Zealand could probably pretty much handle the world's demand for dairy products. And, you know, I would guess the United States could handle it for eggs. Um, basically, most of the 3% in the egg sector, too, is taken up through Dutch egg exports to Germany and also Turkish egg exports to Iraq. So, you know, other than that, there aren't huge flows of eggs around the world. And there similarly isn't a huge flow of dairy around the world. So the other farmers, you know, that don't have supply-managed sectors, in some cases it's because their sectors don't permit that sort of uh, organization to pertain. You have to export wheat, you have to export um, canola, 
soybeans as well. We don't have a big enough market domestically to, to soak up the huge volumes of those commodities that we produce. So they have to be exported. And of course, part of the, part of the, um, the definition of supply management is import control and export control. So we don't import those commodities that are covered by supply management to, the, to uh, a great extent, and we don't export. So we're not a problem in the international market in terms of overproduction and too much of any one commodity um, flowing around the world. Um, but that said, as I say, certain sectors have to export in order to be prosperous, and um, they understand the dynamics of supply management, So, and they don't want supply management given the, the strictures it places upon their international behavior. Bruce, I, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, a pleasure. Anytime. Bruce Muirhead is the Ag Farmers of Canada Chair in Public Policy as well as Associate VP of Research Oversight and Analysis along with the Professor of History at University of Waterloo. Now, for some experts, Canada's supply management system is in need of an overhaul. Bruno LaRue is an agricultural economist at Laval University, and he joins us now. And Bruno, from your perspective, has supply management worn out its welcome with consumers? Well, it's a fact that... Uh, Commodities under supply management are more expensive in Canada than in uh, most countries in the world. Uh, and the same goes for our production costs. And it's uh, very much policy-driven. Uh, so these commodities tend to be uh, highly protected um, in, in most cases. Actually, in all of the cases, uh, we have very restrictive tariff, tariff rate quotas that allow a small volume to enter at a very low uh, trade tax, and then any quantity above that that level then is is taxed at a prohibitive rate. And so the the, the volume that comes in from the rest of the world, uh, even if world prices fall, for example, does not change from year to year. So we don't get to benefit from, uh, say, advances in technology in the in the rest of the world at lower prices. From your perspective, does the current system stifle innovation on the family farm? Uh, well, very much so, because it's uh, uh, producers um, cannot adjust their output very easily. They have to buy uh, production quotas, and in most cases, the the exchanges of of quota between uh, producers is uh, is allowed. But most exchanges are highly deficient, such that they're uh, for example, in, in the case of dairy producers in, in Quebec, which is, uh, you know, the largest uh, dairy producing uh, province, uh, there are many, many more uh, farmers that are uh, demanders of, of quota as opposed to sellers. Uh, like, for example, for last month, there were about uh, uh, eight farmers demanding uh, quotas for uh uh, one farmer willing to uh, to sell quota, so it, it creates a, a rationing that is uh, highly inefficient, and because of that, we tend to have smaller farms, especially in, in eastern Canada and in Quebec and Ontario. Our farms are quite a bit smaller than in western Canada and also in, of course, in the United States. What improvements would you like to see to supply management? It's been around since the since the '60s, and obviously technology changes, mm-hmm. innovation changes, that kind of a thing. Yeah, but it doesn't seem the uh, you know the the framework of supply management has changed. How would you like to see it either changed or eliminated? 
Well, uh, delamination is this. Uh, it's it's a um, hot political potato. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, uh, we saw it when uh, Maxime Bernier tried to become leader of the Conservative Party. Um, so uh, he paid very dearly for uh, openly saying that he was going to uh, dismantle supply uh, supply management programs. Um, so I, I, I don't foresee the uh, dismantlement of these programs. What I would like to see, though, is uh, uh, improvement. And and I think that one way to, to improve would be to, uh, first of all, uh, in the case of, of, of dairy, where there are minimum quota prices on on the exchanges in uh, in Ontario, Quebec, and in the Maritimes. To to first of all get rid of that, and to also allow uh, interprovincial uh, trading of quota, uh, so that farmers uh, could uh, uh, then expand more easily and benefit from uh, from new technologies. Now, would you you say some of these provincial regulations are, are what's hindering expansion for for the dairy industry? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The uh, essentially, it's impossible for um, uh, to have um, interprovincial uh, quota trading. Like, uh, for example, somebody living uh, in Quebec but close to the Ontario border cannot buy quota from, say, a neighbor living on the other side of that border. So it's uh, it makes for a rather uh, inefficient situation, and and for some commodities, for for example, like Turkey, uh, there are very few farmers, and so the the, the trading then is uh, 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 very inefficient because there there are so few farmers uh, in in a given province. So it would make sense to open up the the trading so that there could be. Uh, interprovincial trade in quota. I, I wonder if Canada might be missing out on something here. I, I was reading something recently that if supply management was either scaled back or or eliminated altogether, it would all op- open up the opportunity for obviously more more uh, production and then more food processing jobs. Well, that's true. Uh, that's that's certainly mm-hmm. a fact. I think that if we were to change. Uh, our system, or, or, or at least allow farms to to produce quite a bit more, uh, their cost of production could go down because they're large uh, economies of size. And um, uh, the other thing that on on the processing side, there are some products that I think could be uh, could be exported, like uh, fine cheeses, for example. Uh, so that's that's the sort of thing that that consumer value it's it's very trendy and 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 at the moment we're not uh we're not exporting because of our policy so we're just producing for the domestic market and and i think that that's the sort of thing if we were to deregulate we could certainly export quite a bit of those fine uh cheeses why do you think this issue is such a a political football for all political stripes you know, you mentioned Maxime Bernier. Mm-hmm. He's a conservative. Mm-hmm. They're the free market party, but, you know, and he's talking free market. Nobody else in that party is. Yet, and then the liberals are backing off. The NDP backs mm-hmm. off. The Green backs off. Mm-hmm. What, what, why is it such a football? 
Well, it, uh, I'd say that it's uh, it's an industry that is uh, very well organized in terms of uh, lobbying. They're they're very very powerful. Uh, they have the ear of the, the provincial politicians and the the, the federal politicians. Uh, I mean, rural riding are extremely important, uh, and uh, uh, so it's uh, you know for for politicians. For political parties, you cannot win if you don't win uh, enough rural ridings. Um, so it's uh, over the years we've been able really to get the ear of, of, of politicians. So every time that there's uh, heat, uh, they're able to go over the head of the uh, the agricultural uh, minister and go to the, the prime minister's office directly or at the provincial level to the premier uh directly and uh, uh that's why they they've been so successful uh it's it's like uh uh you know there are um there are policies that don't make much sense uh that for some reason are very hard to change uh, if we look at the gun laws in the united states uh you know from this side of the border we're shaking our head when we look at their their laws uh and and you know there are a lot of americans that feel the same way yet it's very very difficult to uh, uh to change the gun laws in in the united states because the nra is a formidable lobby uh so it's a pretty much the same sort of thing here uh when you have such an effective lobby uh, it's you know laws that and, and policies that don't make much sense uh, from an economic uh, point of view uh, are quite are quite resilient unfortunately Bruno I want to thank you for joining us well you're most welcome Bruno LaRue is an agriculture economist at the University of Laval. Politics does play a part in the debate over supply management. Think about it. The Conservatives, the party of the free market, wouldn't touch the issue during the last federal election campaign. Just over a week ago, party leader Andrew Scheer admonished Quebec MP Maxime Bernier for his call to end the practice. Is it because of the political clout of those farmers? Danny Leroy is an agriculture economist at the University of Lethbridge and a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute, and he joins us on the Unpublished Cafe. And Danny, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's good to be here. What is it about the supply-managed farmer that sends politicians running? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, and as an economist, I, I can't provide a, a clear answer to that question, although one suspects that uh, you know there's there, there's something that uh, is 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 motivating these individuals to act the way that they are you know it, it seems more uh, it's the tail wagging the dog here when you when you look at the whole farm industry in general only 10% are covered by supply management the others are out to fend for themselves um that is true although it's important to bear in mind that uh among commercial enterprises uh, supply management is probably greater than 10%. There's an awful lot of farms in this country that are that are hobby farms and retirement farms that uh, aren't commercial enterprises. Uh so uh if you take the the number of commercial farms in Canada those earning let's say more than half a million dollars gross revenues, uh, supply management makes up more than 10% of those. So do you feel Canadian farmers can compete on the global stage? We are. They are. 
right? Uh, so if you look at uh, other uh, primary products like uh, cattle or canola, wheat, barley, uh, you know, most of the products that are produced by farmers in Canada uh, are traded competitively around the world. Uh, the glaring exception are the supply managed commodities, raw milk, chicken, turkey, and eggs. Is this a job issue or a consumer issue from your perspective? It has never been a consumer issue when this when when these programs were put in place at the national level. Uh, each was justified on the basis of improving and stabilizing prices and uh, gross returns to primary producers. You know, if any political party had the the gumption to eliminate eliminate supply management, from your perspective, how would that roll out? Well, I, that's again, that's a, a good question for a for a politician. For as from the perspective of an economist, um, uh, I think that uh, there there are perhaps a couple of alternatives that have been discussed. Among them is that that producers uh, should be compensated for the loss of their their production quota, the value of it, and across the supply-managed sectors, the value of the quota across dairy producers and poultry producers and egg producers, it's about 35 or $36 billion. And uh, if you take a, a recent census number that there's about 36 million people living in the country, buying off the uh, quota of the supply-managed producers would involve a taxpayer transfer that would be equivalent to $1,000 for every man, woman, and child. So it's it's a big issue. Mm. Danny Leroy is an agriculture economist at the University of Lethbridge, joining us today as we talk about supply management in Canada, which is certainly having an impact uh, south of the border, uh, as well as we've been seeing with uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, He's made an awful lot of comments. We know about him being blowing up so much. But, you know, when when we talk about su- supply management in Canada and how we're keeping American product out and under NAFTA, uh, I, I'm wondering if maybe Canadian farmers are missing something here because, you know, those U.S. farmers do get subsidies, which would run counter, would they not? They they do. But here's the thing. The supply management doesn't protect... Um, Canadian producers against American competition, it protects Canadian producers against Canadian consumers, right? It's consumers who are paying these import taxes of up to 298% in the case of butter. Um, And if the Canadian consumer was adamant that they did not wish to purchase goods, dairy products produced in the United States, these tariffs wouldn't be necessary, right? All, all the consumers would would pursue their own self-interest and purchase goods in Canada. But it's it's protecting the it's protecting the producer against Canadians who want to find a who want to get a bargain, who want to, who want access to lower cost milk or lower cost cheese or lower cost eggs. And the fact that uh, you know many Canadians when they go across the border, among the things that they bring back, in addition to alcohol and cigarettes and and other goods like that, they bring back uh, uh, supply managed goods, which they which they can buy at at lower price uh, across the border. But would you say that the product is is 
comparable? The Canadian product, we'll say dairy, for example, is comparable to the U.S. product, or or at least in, at least in the mind of the consumer, yeah, the person that's bringing you back across the border, it's uh, it's uh, more fully satisfying their want, whether it's a different product or at a different price or something that's that they can't acquire in Canada. Uh, in the mind of the consumer, this is something that it's their revealed preference. This is what we prefer. What's your prediction on the longevity of supply management from an economist perspective? Well, I don't know. I was I was born in 1969, and supply management has been in place in this country for most of my lifetime. Uh, and unless there's a dramatic change, um, I can't I can't see the the system uh, being phased out. For example, in the same way as it was in Australia where uh, 18 years ago, on the basis of a producer vote, the the producers in Australia decided to phase out the system. They were in favor of it. The contrast in Canada is that uh, the producers in this country are very much in favor of maintaining the status quo. Danny, I want to thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Danny Leroy is an agriculture economist at the University of Lethbridge. We've heard a number of perspectives on supply management, but we have yet to hear from the front lines. Bruce Sargent's a dairy farmer in southwestern Ontario in Guelph, and he joins us on the Unpublished Cafe. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate the time. How how long have you been farming? Uh, So I'm 27. I grew up on the farm, and uh, my dad is uh, in his 50s, and he's been farming his whole life, and he took over from his dad who farmed his whole life and so we can go back almost seven generations of farming in my family seven generations how how, uh how large is your uh your herd right now yeah so we're just a little bit below the national average we milk about 60 cows the canadian average is 60 or is 70 i mean Mm -hmm. and in in terms of your quota what's your quota uh so we we have enough quota to milk just about 60 cows. The per quota number is, is always um, changing because cows actually make more milk. Mm-hmm. So you can make the same amount of quota with less cows because genetics have gotten more efficient. Feed has gotten more efficient. So, so yeah, we have, we have enough quota for about 60 cows. It's the easy way of putting it. All right. Now, you, you mentioned seven generations of, uh, of farmers uh, on that farm, and and I'm kind of curious. So that means you've had in in your family, you had before supply management and after supply management. Now, obviously, down the line, what did you hear from from your your the generations before you about uh, the world without supply management? Yeah, so my grandpa would tell us stories about um, going into town with uh, the old jugs. And, um, like loading them up in the truck and going in town and getting to the processor and the processor just saying, I don't need your milk today. So, so, you know, dump it or try to sell it to somebody else. And, uh, and when they were taking it, the price was just, would fluctuate like completely uncontrollably with no reason or rhyme whatsoever. And, uh, and so part of that, like that was also happening to turkey and egg farmers as well, which is why in the 70s, it was actually a, a beef farmer who had turned MP in Western Canada that was kind of one of the fathers of writing the Farm Products Marketing Act, which eventually turned into the supply management system that we know today. All those, all of those commodities were very heavily impacted by fluctuation in prices 
the grocery stores didn't want to pay uh, the farmer what the market value or what the cost of the milk was. So supply management was brought in to stabilize not only the, the farmer's income, but also the number of farmers, because there'd be huge fluctuations in, in the number of operations. And, uh, and it just, it was, it was hard at the time. It, it, a lot of farms had to downsize just to make sure that supply and demand were lined up, but they would never go back to it. Bruce Sargent is uh, joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's a dairy farmer in southwestern Ontario in Guelph, and today we're discussing uh, supply management. And obviously, uh, Bruce has been on the front lines. Uh, seven generations, uh, his family has been uh, farming in Guelph. Uh, but the thing I, I'm kind of wondering about here, Bruce, and your perspective on this, how you know when you look at dairy, you look at poultry, and you and you look at eggs. That's ten percent of the farms in Canada. Yet ninety percent of the other farmers aren't protected. It seems at this protected by supply management. To me, it seems like a have half not situation. So I want to make a quick clarification first. My family actually immigrated from Ireland, so we haven't been seven generations in Canada, but we have been very involved in farming, but. Um, I'm happy to address that point. So yes, only 10% of farms in Canada fall under supply management. And that's because these markets are particularly prone to fluctuations in prices. And we can see that around the world when we look at the dairy market. Um, And the thing is that grain and milk and beef and milk are marketed very, very differently. Um, Milk is a fresh product that ideally is produced in the area that it's going to be used in, which is, which is why supply management works. Um, a cow, to respond to an increase in demand in milk, a cow has to, have a preg- has to have a pregnancy. A grain field can be planted, harvested, and processed in the same amount of time that a cow has a pregnancy. And the other tough thing, too, is that, you know, grain, grain can store much longer than milk. And if we if there's a sudden shock in, in the market and we need to suddenly make less milk, there's only one way to stop a cow from milking tomorrow. And it's not one that we want to entertain. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and it goes back to the price of milk in the U S the price of milk is artificially low because it's traded on the stock market and the processors look at the value of the stock market and they go out to the farmer and they go, sorry guys, you know, this is, this is all that I can pay you for your milk. And the farmer has no choice to say, okay, I guess I'll take that price and just do my best. And then the processor still is profiting and the farmer is relying on a subsidy after the fact to try to make up the difference. And so that system's not working. Those farmers don't want that anymore. And they're actually inviting Canadian farmers down to their meetings to explain how our system works and what, what the benefits of it are. Let's talk about the quality of the product for a second here. Do you find or do you believe that, um, obviously, you're very proud of your product, but do you believe Canadian milk is better than uh, American processed milk that might be coming up here? We do have very strict uh, animal welfare and um, quality traceability programs in Canada that aren't replicated in the States. There, There are definitely farms in the States whose quality is probably very similar to ours, but Overall, Canada does have higher standards. Um, somatic cell count is something that our industry is always pushing to decrease. It's the amount of uh, white blood cells, um, basically white blood cell residue that appears in the milk, and it's it's a indication of the healthiness of the cow. So we have the lowest somatic cell count regulations in the world in Canada. 
And so we're very proud of that. And, um, and we're very proud of our record with animal welfare. Um, ProAction is the program that we have. And the traceability co- program is called um, the Canadian Quality Milk Program. And those are, those are both, you know, world, world-leading programs that nobody else has. And, and the, the, the other thing, too, is that, yes, yes, uh, there is some use of the um, growth hormone in milk production in the U.S. It's not, it's not 100% used, but um, when it boils down to it, we, what we're looking at right now with Trump is Trump has uh, half a million liters per day that the U.S. is overproducing because their price is so low. The price goes low. The farmer wants to make the same amount of income. So they increase the amount of milk that they make so that they earn the same by shipping more milk. So that makes 100, 500,000 liters per day that the U.S. is overproducing. And U.S. Trump wants to dump that into Canada. And that's what we don't want because that's they're overproducing. They're trying to throw tariffs on you know, our planes because they feel like we're dumping them into the U.S. That was turned down by their trade department, but they want to dump half a million liters of milk into Canada on a daily basis. And that would hugely impact not only our farmers, but our processing industry as well. Our processing industry in Canada is 200, over 200,000 jobs in dairy alone. So it's, it's a much more complicated issue than just, you know, the, some of the labels that we get slapped with sometimes. All right. Uh, Bruce, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Bruce Sargent's a dairy farmer in Guelph, Ontario, giving us a firsthand look at supply management. Unpublished Ottawa would like to hear from you. To learn more about this issue and to express and share your opinion with your local MP, go to unpublished.vote to vote on this week's question. Should Canada maintain its supply management system for dairy, poultry, and eggs? Yes or no? On our next podcast, we'll go over the results and your comments. I want to thank our guest today, Bruce Sargent, a dairy farmer in Guelph. Danny Leroy is an agriculture economist with the University of Lethbridge. Bruno LaRue, an agriculture economist at the University of Laval. And Bruce Muirhead, Associate Vice President, Research Oversight and Analysis and Professor of History at the University of Waterloo. He is also the Chair in Public Policy for the Egg Farmers of Canada. I thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand.